all right? What's going on? <laughs> Hello, welcome to the podcast. It's lovely to see you, even though we live together all the time. What do we call this podcast again? So this is Refigure with Chris and Reefa talking about our highlights of the week. The Chris and Reefa show. But it's not called any of the things we said it was going to be called last week. Definitely the biggest thing that happened to me this week was I've been doing this folk music late night radio show for about four years, just under four years, on a local commercial radio station called Juice 107.2. And that radio station has been going for 20 years. And this week they shut down. And the reason they shut down is because they've sold to Global, which is the big multinational chain that owns like Heart and Magic and LBC and Radio X and loads of other channels. It's Capital and all that stuff. And it was sold to Global in about February and then they dicked around for a few months. And then it was only maybe less than a month ago that I found out when the show and the whole radio station was being closed down and it was closed down this week and then they make way for their launch in Capital Brighton in early September, which is a bullshit idea, but obviously everyone's being very positive about it and I'm sure it will do very well. No, it isn't that important. It's something I did one day a week for fun mainly, was just do this late night folk music show and I've been surprised how sad I feel about it. But there were people who've worked there especially not the kind of specialist music presenters like someone like me doing a late night thing just because I like music, but kind of daytime radio presenters who do it and it's their job and they become quite, well, very well-known local celebrities. There have been people there for over a decade and that's been their career and it just went away and you think they never earned loads of money doing it. It's not a very lucrative thing, but it has all these fun aspects to it. It's part of that package of presenting and being a local personality watching that all come to an end over quite a short period of time has been really interesting and so although I'm kind of gutted that it's gone part of me is actually relieved that I don't have to do it every week now people don't realize how rare it is to have a local commercial station that had a range of specialist music programs so at the height of it maybe two two years ago or three years ago they had a heavy metal show that was way heavier than Radio 1's metal show. Every different dance subculture had its own show. They had reggae shows right through to banging house nights and techno shows and electro shows, all of which had proper expert DJs. And obviously you did the indie after party for... How long did you do that for on there? I think it was just under two years. Yeah. It took me a while to find my voice on it. I think it was more around... Um playing female-fronted bands and the new wave of indie punk that's out there at the moment and putting that next to the bands I think they sound like from the 90s. You definitely stopped when you wanted to stop, though, didn't you? You you kind of had a curve of it of, I really enjoy this, I'll do it, and then the moment it wasn't so much fun to you... It's you... not so much that. I think people sometimes we do too many different projects and you have to have a kind of value for yourself, you know, and think, is this project fitting in with my big vision for my own life or does it fit in with my values so I think sometimes both of us probably say yes to things that aren't always fitting in with our values or maybe our time that we put in I'm learned to say no a bit better now in the last couple of years yeah in the months running up to it not happening anymore I was getting quite annoyed with it and some Sundays I would think oh fucking hell I've got to go in and do a radio show now on a Sunday when what I want to do is just sit in front of the telly or just stay at home, basically. And then the moment I knew it was being taken away, 
suddenly it became that much more important to me and I was like, oh no, I'm losing something that's really precious to me. But I'm not sure I am. I don't feel that bad about but it. But it's fantastic experience, I yeah. mean, and discipline and we prepared our shows properly. We curated all the music we were playing. There's something about making sure that we produce good quality work. I mean, this podcast is clearly an example of that. <laughs> oh my God. Reef, what's been the highlight of your week? You did a decolonising makeup course. Decolonising beauty run by this amazing person called Umber Gowrie, who is based in London, who works with loads of trans people of colour, cutie pock we call them, at Onka Gallery, which is an amazing space. And if you've walked past it and not popped in, there's always something interesting going on there. So they came down and did a whole weekend with people who wanted to experiment with makeup. Mostly people in their 20s, some who would identify as trans, some who would identify as queer, some who would identify as lesbian or gay. Kind of wanted to experiment a bit with something called contouring, which apparently everybody knows about because of the Kardashians. And for those of you who don't know, it's a way of putting makeup on. <laughs> it comes from like blooming theatre using makeup to highlight parts of your face that you do want to highlight and what Umber was talking about and demoing was that some people want to pass as more feminine or masculine or maybe it's around playing with those stereotypes as well so they work with models and artists who are non-binary they might play with kind of I don't know glitter in the beard for example or making shapes that uh, highlight the masculine size of their face but then maybe have flowers in their hair that show different kinds of aspects of themselves and they want to have um, their photos taken so umber works with people like that i found it really moving okay because we talked about how before colonization before the british went into india and umber's background is pakistani which was obviously part of india before the partition before the british went in they identify with groups of people who were revered in the Indian subcontinent as non-binary trans people. So they were revered before Victorian values took over India and they became vilified. We talked a bit about that and how that tradition of people who were slightly outside of society but they had their own houses and how they would have a house mother who looked after them. that is a tradition that worked in new york in the 70s and 80s with trans people how that's a very ancient and important part of society so you had a lot of conversation about this sort of stuff which is really fascinating but all i really want to know is did you get to try some makeup on and were you doing it on your own face and what was that experience well, like i found it all quite see because because it's a it was a space where it wasn't just POC people. And the next day they did some work with mostly POC people around shadism, which is a whole other thing around people who are darker are treated less well in their own communities than people who are lighter skinned. And there's a whole industry around lightening your skin tone. And all of that comes from colonisation and about how we're all kind of 
ranked on our shade of skin and just having spaces where we're even glimpsing and talking about this stuff with younger people than me I mean like I'm talking 20 years younger than me who are growing up still facing stuff that generations of my family have dealt with and talked about it's really super personal and you don't really get a lot of time or space to talk or think about this stuff really anyway we got to the point where we were playing with some grease paint because it wasn't about beautifying ourselves at all it was about actually playing with some crazy theater colors on our skin i'm looking at myself in the mirror and i've got i've painted on like blooming bright blue eyebrows on myself and bright pink on my eyes and Umber's Instagram is really interesting because they work with lots of people who want to express themselves referring to their culture but subverting it as well so one of the people they worked with used some paisley as tears on there so paisley is an Indian motif and to use them as tears. And and they said, because being queer is just tragic and sad and difficult. And they were, everybody laughed in the room, but I just felt it really strongly. I felt like these people, all so young and beautiful and shiny and gorgeous, and they've got amazing feet, and they don't even know it, or they're just all kind of consumed with their own emotions like anyway I'm sitting there looking at myself with all this crazy makeup on myself and I thought I just look like a clown what am I doing and that made me feel like actually all makeup all makeup all this freaking contouring and all this trying to make ourselves look amazing all the time and all this just pressure on women let alone everybody else who's trying to express themselves on the spectrum it's just ridiculous and it is painting your face so anyway, we made some beautiful pictures of ourselves. We all crowded around and did loads of selfies. And then when you look at the photos, which I put on my Facebook page and uh, on my Insta, you'll see everyone looks like a model. Everyone is just stunning. And it's just, you know, the confidence that isn't maybe shining through just yet. But I just feel like they're all like blossoming. I'm going to mention two records that came out this week. I'm trying not to do too much music, but they are particularly amazing records. So this week there's a new album by Sweet Billy Pilgrim, uh, which they are self-releasing, and it's called Wappen Tack. And oh. <laughs> Wappen Tack. And they've mean? gone on this massive journey because their last album, they were this big six-piece psych, slightly proggy rock band. It's quite a heavy album, and it's it's absolutely brilliant, the last one. But this one they've reduced right down to being a male-female duo and the vibe is much more like Americana country pop, although it still gets quite psychedelic and pastoral. And the songs are just absolutely outstanding. So that's Sweet Billy Pilgrim, Wappentack. And the other album that's blown my mind this week is the second album from Catherine Joseph, the Scottish singer-songwriter, who is like a kind of dramatic piano playing, very moody, very epic singer-songwriter she's on rock action records and her album is called from when i wake the want is it's just staggering these songs are huge they're both kind of alternative not that well-known artists like neither of these two are going to sell half a million records but they're both quite acclaimed and the songwriting's just really huge and ambitious even though the records sound intimate they're really good 
Yeah. We should have a jingle soon. A really good one. I have been really happy that Weekend magazine from The Guardian was taken over by Girl Dem magazine, a collective of black and brown women and non-binary people. And if you can get hold of a copy or if you missed it, I'll lend you my copy and I'm sure it's all (laughs) online on The Guardian weekend. It's just full of fantastic articles from people's voices that you generally don't hear a lot of. I think the stat at the beginning was 95% of journalists are white, male, and it's all brilliant. I read it from cover to cover and I'm gonna keep it forever because it's such a monumental achievement. So my favourite article in the magazine, Michaela Cole, there's an article about her, her rise from doing a one woman play that she played all the characters to getting her own show on Channel 4 and making sure that she was the sole writer of that, even though Channel 4 tried to get her to get a co-writer. And then the head of comedy was like, why do you want to do that? And anyway, she's the actress that is in the episode of the last series of Black Mirror where she plays the Ahura character. And Ahura from Star Trek is like one of my favourite characters. The article mentions that she was in this thing called chewing gum that she created herself. And so we looked up on Channel 4 and it's brilliant. And I'm really enjoying it. It's a little sitcom about based on her life on a council estate and her friends and her what she gets up to and her crazy boyfriends and how she's a 24 year old virgin it's just fun and i'm binge watching it at the moment so check it out it's really good it's like a working class version of miranda only much edgier oh it's really fun and it's very channel four and it's quite a lot of sauciness in it as well and yeah. swears sauciness within I just reason think she's incredible looking isn't she she's quite um mag- magnetic also, we had heard about chewing gum because last year we went to the Shout Out Live festival and another round was a guest podcast at Shout Out Live and they had Susan Wacoma on as one of their guests and she was hilarious, really interesting. But she plays the religious sister in Chewing Gum and is a really interesting, quite unsympathetic character in it. And she's also brilliant. And she's also brilliant. And Very she, good. She's also brilliant. Everybody's brilliant. Susan Wacoma is brilliant. Oh, what have we been reading? What have you been reading this week? Re- oh, this week, Reefer. I've been reading the Incredible Adventures of Mary Seacole. Oh wow! Which is a history book written by a woman who was celebrated as somebody through the Crimea War. Crimea War. She was a kind of a nurse, and she ran a shop on the front line of the Crimea War. And they had a whole massive celebration of her life in Trafalgar Square in the 1700s. And then she got written out of history, mostly because Florence Nightingale didn't like her and everybody wanted to put her on a bloody banknote. But (laughs) then in the 90s, when the Labour government were in power, they did a big drive to try and get people of colour in history lessons in GCSE. You could learn all about Mary Seacole in GCSE. And then when the Tories came in, they just cut her out again. So I thought, oh, I better better read up on this woman because that's the only reason we know that she even existed now because she wrote her own book. She was a mixed race Jamaican woman who is so jolly and flowery in her language. It's hilarious when you read it. But this particular edition that I picked up in a second-hand bookshop has also got a bunch of uh, commentary 
about uh, what was going on at the time and explains quite a lot of the stories. I'm still on the early chapters of it where she's popped over to Panama in her frilly outfits and her bonnet, <laughs> chugging along on the river to go and meet her brother who has got a um, outpost. The way she describes people is really evocative of the time but it's something you just don't hear about very often so I'm quite enjoying it because she's super jolly as well. It's called The Wonderful Adventures of Mary Seacole by Mary Seacole. Excellent. I've spent all week reading one magazine article because it's enormous. There's an article in the New York Times magazine that is something like 40,000 words Uh, It's by Nathaniel Rich and it's called Losing Earth. It is a history of the environmental movement, the science and the politics between specifically 1979 and 1989. And the argument in the article is that by 1979 the science was basically established pretty much universally that climate change was a massive serious thing, global warming was happening, it was man-made, but mostly it was vitally important that we didn't go beyond two degrees of warming and in 1979 that hadn't been particularly politicized either so it was perfectly acceptable if you were a republican or if you were conservative or pro-business for example to be concerned about the environment and everyone was pretty much on the same page and during that period between 79 and 89 we actually got really close to signing treaties that would have put ceilings on carbon use that would have I'm not saying the right words, but would have stopped it, would have basically saved the planet. And as the thing got politicised through the 80s, that became impossible. So by 1989, we failed to do it then. And then, of course, every attempt we've made since, even though the science has been the same science since the late 70s, we just totally failed. And now we're obviously, as we know, as you closed the podcast with last week, you went, oh, we're fucking screwed. (laughs) And it was like, oh, yeah, we are. And this article brilliant history it's beautifully written so it reads like a huge even though it's got its tendrils in lots of different bits of the story it's really well focused but also there are amazing images and even like video images by um, George Steinmetz it felt like reading a short book it just went on and on Uh, but I would hugely recommend it so that's Nathaniel Rich Losing Earth it's called in the New York Times magazine has been quite controversial some people say he's given the oil companies a little bit of an easy ride. I don't particularly think he has. I think he's just, his tone is very measured. The only other thing I'd mention just as a sidebar to that is one of my very favourite podcasts is the Long Form podcast, which is attached to the Atavist magazine. It's called Long Form and it's each week they interview a different writer of non-fiction, like a journalist or a long form writer. And a couple of weeks ago or this week, He's one of the recent interviews, Nathaniel Rich, who wrote this piece, and he's great in interviews as well. He's really fascinating. So, yeah, New York Times Magazine. You can find it online. It's not behind a paywall, so you can read it. So what's your pet peeve this week then, Reefa? So it's about yoga, okay? Yeah. So when I learnt to be a yoga teacher, I did a very traditional teacher training. The classes that you go to all around the world and all the centres of Shivananda yoga schools are identical and they haven't changed since the 1950s when it was all developed. 
by two Indian teachers specifically to help people in the West. And many, many different kinds of yoga have developed based on this series of sun salutation and 12 postures. And there are all kinds of different things now. There's Bikram yoga, hot yoga, there's Ashtanga yoga, all of these different names, Ayanga yoga as well. They're all based on Hatha yoga and traditional yoga. The one that I did, they have different chants. And as a yoga teacher, you'd had to learn all these different chants in Sanskrit and you had to do all this stuff. Basically, yoga's become this thing that you pose on a rock or you pose in different places in the in world. In your pants. In your pants, if you want, in your bikini. And you get like all kinds of weird stuff. Now, Indian people generally would probably say, we don't really mind people being interested in our culture or adapting that stuff. But there's a whole generation of people in this country and in America who get kind of pissed off when people play with their culture like that and don't have an understanding of where this stuff comes from and the words that are used in a yoga class. Now, the yoga classes that I go to, they don't generally chant anymore. They certainly don't do even an om anymore, but they'll say the word namaste at the end of a class. And it's really <laughs> grinding my kids. And I was really glad when in The Good Immigrant, which is a collective of writing uh, edited by Nikesh Shukla, and he writes a little story at the beginning or a little account and he just basically goes why do people say namaste it just means hello in hindi it means hello in sanskrit it means hello there's lots of other deeper meanings to it but it's a definitely a greeting it's a bit weird that everybody uses it to close a class and say namaste as a thank you so or they say so people say namaste at the end of a yoga class yeah but it means hello. And anyone who's ever watched any kind of Indian film ever would see that that was something, namaste would be something that you would say to usually somebody a bit older than you, like your own parents, you would say namaste or your grandparents, namaste. And it's a greeting of respect. And So what's weird for me as well is that it's not even really my culture that I grew up with, but at the yoga teacher training where I felt like I was going back in time and learning something that was super ancient, I was tapping into heritage that I had no real concept of and this vast history that goes way back into time 10,000 years of yoga learning about gods and goddesses and at the end of their lessons they would say something either they would say om tat sat which means like i hand this over like i let go of this you know i've finished completion and i'm not holding on to it i'm moving on or shanti which is peace and they might say shanti, shanti, shanti three times at the end. Peace, peace, peace to everybody. And that's the end completion. But they don't say namaste, namaste. And it's just boring and annoying. And there's a whole other stuff around wearing and appropriating other people's cultural stuff. And like wearing bindis, is it annoying? I don't know. Bindi is the thing that people wear at festivals sometimes middle of their forehead you know because that's got cultural significance for other people anyway i'm on a roll now but anyway in the good immigrant story he gets sort of hassled by some people because they keep they just go namaste 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 to him over and over again and it reminded me of our friend frit who's chinese who said something about how people used to sort of shout ni hao ni hao at her which means hello as a kind of insult weirdly. almost like racist abuse yes yeah don't use words you don't understand. At least find out what you're saying. 
That's the yoga teacher's fault, isn't it? Not the students. Oh, all of it. Uh, yes. I mean, if somebody comes into a yoga class, they just want to do it right and they want to do what, what everyone else is doing. So the teacher saying namaste at the end to mean thank you. Anyway, it doesn't matter really. It's just <laughs> slightly annoying for me because it reminds me of the appropriation of yoga in the, in the world and that, that people aren't really doing it properly. We've both got events oh, yes. that we forgot to plug last week. On the 14th of September at the Salis Benny Theatre in Brighton, I've got five amazing speakers as part of the She Says Brighton event. One is coming down from London. I'm very excited to hear from her. Jen Ashley, she runs Women Who Code in London. She's done some stuff with NASA and Google. Um, I've also got Ruth Oliver from The Lighthouse and she's also on the board at Brighton Digital Festival, which this event is part of. I've got Bushra Berg, who is a virtual reality expert. I've got Miriam Crichton, who's an expert in startups. And I've also got the Group Digital Director of Legal and General coming as well. It's gonna be a really fun night. You can get tickets on Eventbrite. It's a donation, pay what you can event. And we're expecting about 300 people to turn up. Sounds great. My one is the night before. So I'm putting on a concert, a sort of farewell party for Midnight Campfire. So I'm putting on a folk event. I've got an amazing singer-songwriter over from Portland, Oregon, called Olivia Aubrey. She's absolutely fantastic singer-songwriter uh, of the alternative folk variety. We also have special guests over from South Sea, Elle Morgan. She's going to play as well. Brilliant, radical songwriter, absolutely fantastic voice. Brighton's own Lewis McHale will be opening. He's great as well. So we've got three artist i'm going to be djing it's on the 13th of september it's at the marlborough theater where's where's princess street yeah <laughs> reef is on the board of that so she knows the theater better than me it's gonna be a great princess night street. of if you're into quiet singer songwritery stuff of great quality come along to midnight campfire live at the marlborough theater on the 13th of september and you can find tickets at facebook.com slash midnight campfire that's facebook.com slash midnight campfire and i think i'm reluctantly accepting that that's a farewell night for the radio show but it may not be if i find another home for it and that's a wrap thank you very much for listening bye bye oh um what do you have to say on podcasts like follow us no that's oh yeah follow us on instagram refigure uk we are please give us a like and some stars and things because that helps us somewhere or other what's our instagram refigure uk oh cool uh do we have some other socials yeah, refigure on Twitter. Oh, cool. Uh, that's you, though. That's yeah, nice but we can just... That's and yours fine. is Chris T.T. Yeah, and yours and is Rifa. R-I-F-A. we got cool Twitters. Talk to you again soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> Bye-bye. Don't fly. Don't fly.